0: Love, talk, radio. Well, hello, hello, hello. Welcome back. FixTheNation.com one more time. That's right. John A. Jensen, yours truly. All righty. Welcome back. And for those of you who just uh, joined for the first time, welcome aboard. Um, for those who haven't listened before, John A. Jensen, I created FixTheNation.com about five years ago. Um, It's the website. There are three books available on Amazon.com if you choose via e-reader or paperback to enjoy or share with friends or buy for gifts where you choose to. Um, This is on Blog Talk Radio, also Stitcher, also iTunes, available anywhere in the world. Um, If you want to reach me, at FixTheNation is one way to do it via Twitter or suggestion box at FixTheNation.com if you want to get an email to me. I'm always looking for topics or articles, information, stuff like that, or just general feedback. That being said, we're going to talk about jobs today, jobs and pensions, a couple of uh, important topics and things that don't get nearly enough attention in what I would consider to be the way I'm about to approach it. So we're going to start with jobs. I'm going to spend a few minutes there. Let's start with jobs, meaning the appointments that the president-elect has made, and quote-unquote the jobs he, quote, saved at Carrier. Why bring those up? Um, A couple appointments, very interesting. Um, Mattis for defense. I'm going to say I like that. I think it'll get bipartisan support. Um, Definitely is going strength of military, which is true to where he was during campaign mode. Um, Definitely like Um, The other appointments he made Meaning Price, Chow, etc Very solid picks Um, Interesting he hasn't picked State yet And interesting that he's extending It back out And interviewing new people So either he or his minions Are on the fence about something Or undecided or not Completely convinced They have the right candidate yet For that position But we will see um, those jobs are important, and a lot of the undersecretaries will fall after these people get named because that kind of becomes part of those – the first appointments become the part of the selectors for the next level down. That being said, it's want on to jobs for Americans, for Main Street, which is what this election was all about, by the way. It was Main Street versus Wall Street. It was the elites versus the oppressed. Pick any way of saying it, but that's that's just the chase of it. So we're going to use Carrier as an easy example. Carrier was one of Donald Trump's whipping posts during the campaign mode. They were going to take uh, the uh, shut down a plant, go to Mexico, and take the 1,500 jobs there. Something along that line. Well, what happened? President-elect has conversations with. They come to a an agreement, and Carrier will be keeping 1,100 jobs in America that would have gone to mexico now it seems like a minuscule dot on the landscape given the fact it's a thousand jobs it's not a million jobs it's a very small but it's a story it's a symbolic gesture if you will if that's one of a thousand plants that's a million jobs if that's one that stops 10 that's an additional 10,000 jobs It's a sign that had someone ever thought to challenge these people or to talk their language, maybe we would not have lost the 70,000 manufacturing plants and 7 million jobs that have left us and gone overseas. Hmm. Makes you wonder, doesn't it? What have we lost because our leadership in Washington, and that's bipartisan by the way, has failed to stop the bleeding, or worst case, has personally or professionally benefited by this arrangement? Meaning, you know, we create laws, you go overseas, but you put money in my campaign fund, so all is you know, well and good in the world because I have mine, you have yours, and that's the only important thing oh, wait, we forgot the American worker. We forgot about the citizens who actually elected us, the people who work for us, the people who need the money to buy things in their life, in this capitalistic society that we have. Jobs. I think it's funny, by the way. I shot this out earlier via Twitter. It's amazing that every time we talk about strengthening the economy and job creation and... And someone brings up the fact that 70,000 plants have closed and 7 million manufacturing jobs have been lost. They always said, oh, it's not a big deal. You know, we created service industry jobs. Now, see, I don't take the fact that we created something else to make it okay that the first thing should have happened. What if we had stopped half that bleeding? Instead of seven million, we lost three and a half million. Where would we be now, or four years ago, or even eight years ago, during the height of the Great Recession slash bailout mania? How much faster would we have reached full employment? How much more security would the middle class have had? How much, how many more options would be on the table? those coming out of college to step into or out of high school to do an apprenticeship. That job in the factory opens up as opposed to, well, I guess you have to go get a, you know, degree from university because that's the only way you can, quote unquote, succeed in life. Options on the table. Jobs. It's funny how optimism is one of the greatest job creators there is if you're an owner what do you believe you believe that sales are bleak in the future or that sales will be robust in the future if your confidence is high you expand your plant you hire more staff you know you spend marketing dollars right you develop that next best line to extend your sales reach out to a new niche things like that that's how businesses think what we've gone through in the past eight years has been the anti-certainty you have the question mark of obamacare lingering and hanging over you and putting literally pushing you down you have the burdensome regulations that keep coming at different angles in every way shape or form you have the absolute weak economy and weak gdp sales piece of it with a pushing up on the bottom level of the artificial fake minimum wage laws created by our government to put breadcrumbs to the bottom tier in every way dampening the spirits while we tax among the highest in the world and say but why can't you compete and then when you automate to get more efficient, you're vilified because you're not there for the American worker. Really? How many ways can you be set up to fail and then be ridiculed that you failed? That's not right, fair, or just. So it's really interesting that some of the things – I'm going to bounce to trade real quick – that have happened since Donald J. Trump got elected – Remember. He hasn't even gone through his inauguration yet. He's not even the president. Mexico and Canada have both expressed that they're willing to renegotiate NAFTA. Funny, George Bush and President Obama didn't even try. Not a whimper, not a wave, not a thought, not a concern. I don't even think it was an idea in their head. I'm sure they even recognized there was a problem. But that's the leadership we've had in the last 15, almost 16 years. And again, that was bipartisan. I said Bush and Obama. People in Washington kind of need to remember once in a while who they actually work for. They don't work for themselves. They don't work for their lobbyists or their donors. They're elected and work for the people within the borders of the United States, for the people who live and breathe as United States citizens all over the world. That's who they represent. They need to remember that. What my mom used to tell me? Remember who you are and who you represent? So when I was out in public away from them, I had to keep that in mind. More than true of our "quote unquote" representatives in Washington. They're not there to do our beck and call. It doesn't work that way. What they are do, what's right by us, not what's in their personal best interest. We'll get that in a minute. So it's kind of funny that President-elect Trump—not even President Trump, but President-elect Trump—has gotten capitulations from a couple of nations, has got carried or stay in the U.S. Like, why do I feel he's done more in the last three weeks than a couple of presidents combined have done for the American worker or the trade imbalances? Isn't that kind of odd? Isn't kind of weird to think of it that way? When's the last time that Obama renegotiated a trade deal that you felt was good for America? When's the last time Obama stopped a company from leaving the U.S. I actually don't even remember him ever fighting the fight or mentioning it, let alone winning the fight. Of course, then again, that's not his background. That's not what he does. It's also something very dif- difficult to do from a golf course from vacation. Interesting, right? Donald J. Trump. He seems moving very fast with his appointments, although talented people, you know, he and his... his transition team teams uh they're proceeding very quickly with this so i think that's part of normalcy of what we will have to make an adjustment we are used to washing working at a snail's pace a president who's been distant this is a president who is from a productivity mode he's a businessman he makes money by getting things done i don't think that mentality is something you can ever turn off I think that's what he will expect from people around him. I think it's an aggressive agenda. He's about to take and hand to Congress and expect them to do their part. I think he'll keep the pressure up to move these things through and to get things done. I don't see him as a very patient man politically, and that's okay within the realm of sanity, obviously. But that's, let's, I like an impatient boss, okay? In fact, some, some of the, the literature, they want bosses, myself included, to be, to be unreasonable. If you're ever satisfied as a boss, you're losing something. You're not aiming high enough. You should be a little unreasonable. You know, build it better. Build it cleaner. Make it more efficient. Get a better dollar for it. Raise your sales goal. Whatever your thing is, raise the bar on it. That's what a boss's job is. Do it in two weeks? Can you do it in ten days? Did it in a month? Can you do it in three weeks? When I uh, wrote a couple of my books, I would extend it and then reduce it down and edit it. Then I extend it back out and reduce it back down. And not the same words, but the whole point of doing a, a practice like that is to make the words meaningful. You can blather on and use words, but they kind of get diluted, and it gets boring to the reader. If you have high-impact words that are meaningful, usually you'll have a good outcome. You know, it's like editing a movie. Take out the dull parts. So it's got a nice little flow to it, so it has pace. We have a good pace. I think Donald J. Trump will have a great pace as a president, and probably a little something we haven't seen in a long, long, long time, if ever. This is what we're doing. Let's go. What's next? What are we waiting on? Who's next? Let's have that conversation. Let's have that meeting. I don't see him as a very patient person with regard to why aren't we moving faster, right? But there's a couple jobs questions. Can go back to jobs. That I do have to ask people. So we got a labor report out, and the number was something like 178,000 jobs. Nothing crazy, nothing high. But the labor unemployment rate – is 4.6 percent now here comes a very there's a little bit of a conundrum or a riddle based in this donald j trump wants to tax reform revamp trade deals downsize regulation repeal replace obamacare all of which will have great positive impact on an economy should cycle up an economy, and with an economy that cycles up, yep, job creation comes with it. So here's the million-dollar question. If you're 4.6% of unemployment, where do those people come from you need to hire? Hmm, question mark number one. Number two, we have wages. And we need some labor inflation to get the middle class some, some reward over the last 16 years. It's been nothing but going down. The minimum wage being pushed up artificially by Washington and selected states is horrific for businesses. But the minimum wage defined by the marketplace – will be going up as they compete for talent in a tightened labor pool. The middle class salaries you pay will go up because in a tightened labor market, the markets have to compete for talent. I offer fifty grand, my next door neighbor same company, different company, same offers fifty five. The person goes there. I can't lose that person. I counter fifty seven. They stay here. He or she doesn't match the offer. They stay here for fifty seven. So I paid seven thousand more, but I got the talent I want. They still look for talent, even though they offered fifty five. So there's good and bad to both. One doesn't have the talent they need, and one paid up to keep or retain the talent they need. Six months later, they still haven't filled the position. The next door neighbor says, I'll pay you sixty. The person leaves me, goes next door. I can't pay 60, and the ping-pong game keeps going. Now, that's not an endless cycle. It's not a perfect cycle, but it is how markets work. Markets define themselves. Supply and demand works up and down. So let's go back to something, immigration twist on this. I've talked about this before, short mention – by bringing in the most immigrants we ever have since 1920s, most foreign-born people in the U.S. right now since the 1920s, okay, those 40 million people have, in fact, diluted the wages and the middle-class incomes because, again, just think commonsensically. If they weren't here, labor would have dried up sooner. If it would have dried up sooner, markets would have competed for talent and paid up for it. It's just simple math. That being said, immigration right now is about to get tightened up per Donald J. Trump. Well, let's forget the fact he will or will not deport 10 or 11, 12 million people. Let's just simply say he slows immigration. That's part of the labor pool. So labor gets even more tight, not loosened up. You see where the ripple comes in, right? So now we keep putting an upward pressure on wages while we keep companies in the U.S. supposed to let them go overseas. That keeps more jobs in the U.S. competing for a smaller group of labor while the economy economy heats up and we start to need more jobs to be filled. Interesting ripple, right? Okay. Going to shift gears. I'm going to go to pensions real quick. A couple of things about pensions that, one, I'm not a pension fan, meaning, you know, I, for all people who have pensions, God bless you. You know, you're set for life. God bless. But it's such a 1950s, 60s, 70s way of doing things, it's not even funny. All of the private sector has already realized this. They do not exist. You don't get a pension anymore. You get a 401K plan with a match. Okay, that's just simply in the private world how it's done. But here's the kicker. In the public sector, government, you get pensions. It's part of the, the, the thing I think Trump needs to make one of his priorities in, in year one. Every time they're going to renegotiate something, pensions come off the table and get replaced at the, at the federal level or at the state level if you're a governor. Here's why. Let's just use states as an easy example. The unfunded part of, not even the funded, the unfunded part of the pension liability in states is, come on, guess a number, pick a number, just under $5.6 trillion for the public pensions of the 50 states in the United States. I'm going to say that one more time. $5.6 trillion is the unfunded, already spent liability of the 50 collective states of the United States pension plans let me give you some of the top winners in this horrific scenario unfunded liabilities the biggest state by far unfunded liabilities just under 1 trillion dollars In that state alone, you guessed it, California. That's right, $956 billion in unfunded. They have more than that, but the unfunded piece they're already on the hook for is just under a trillion dollars. Illinois, $362 billion. Texas, $360 billion dollars. New York three hundred and forty seven billion dollars. Ohio three hundred and thirty one billion dollars. Jersey two hundred thirty five. Pennsylvania two hundred eleven. Florida two hundred ten. Keep going. Let's slice those pension plans a different way. What percentage of the public pension plan is funded? Worst in the na- worst in the nation. Connecticut, 22.8%. Best in the nation, Wisconsin, 63.4%. Crisis, by the way, levels, is anything under 80. Let's say that one more time. If you're under 80, you're in crisis. You have to explain to people how you're going to fix it. And by the way, Wisconsin, phenomenal job, 63%, the next closest, 47.9% North Carolina. Why do we bring stuff like that up? Because if you're unfunded, you know, like California, well, at least they're 21st in the nation by the amount they actually do fund, you know, they're 35% funded. So I guess it's not as bad, but still $1 trillion in the hole that you don't have money for yet. Good luck in the future. And every day that goes on, that number gets higher. It keeps rolling higher. There's no getting away from that. Another way to look at it, what about monies per person, per capita? Alaska, per every man, woman, child in Alaska, their part of a liability, unfunded liability of the public pension plan is almost $43,000 Per person, Ohio, 28,000, Illinois, 28,000, Connecticut, 27,000, New Jersey, 26,000, New Mexico, 26,000, Hawaii, 24,000, California, 24,000, Oregon, 24,000, Nevada, 24,000. So if I take kind of a collage of those reports, my worst performer list would look something like this connecticut illinois michigan massachusetts are all and new jersey are all in the bottom tier of multiple reports meaning they have the biggest dollar amount the least amount of funding and more per capita than a lot of other states it brings up for a reason until you address something like pension the unfunded piece of pension liability or the administering of new pensions moving forward you just are simply bearing future generations it's the identical argument of not doing entitlement reform if you're not going to revamp and reform social security today future generations will not have it it will be bankrupt if you're not going to resolve things like the national debt being 20 trillion dollars and a four trillion dollar balance sheet for the fed today and work it in progress to fix it now you are simply burying your child's and grandchild's generation with debt that they haven't benefited from you did i did If you're an adult on this planet, you've benefited already in some way by that money being spent. But the people haven't been born yet, you can't make that case. Not directly, anyway. You can say they benefited because you benefited, but that's kind of a stretch, no offense. So why do we keep keep passing out pensions? It goes back to what my problem with D.C. always is. The leaders in Washington, I use that term very loosely... It's lowercase across the board. They don't leave. They make decisions on how they can get reelected. And saying no, taking something away that already exists, is brutally devastating. It's toxic to a politician. How do you say, I'm going to lower Social Security for you each month? But By the way, I want you to vote for me. Even if it's in your best interest, in 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 America's best interest. You don't want to hear it. Don't take mine. Take somebody else's. If you're not going to extend pensions out, All of those unions, all of those workers will not vote for you. You will lose huge – you might be doing the right thing, but you're going to lose huge. Even if you sold the message on why it's necessary, you still are going to get vilified in the next election. Therefore, we have very weak, limp politicians with no willpower to stay the course – And to do what needs to be done, although it's what we need them to do. It's why we put them there, to do the tough job. It's what leaders do. They stand the liver, and they tell you why you need to have it. They convince you in the argument. I hope Donald J. Trump is up to that task. I truly do. On the federal level, going back to pensions, he has his own issues. What does he get to inherit? Unfunded liabilities at the federal level, hooray, okay, $20.4 trillion, now, there's a lot of stuff that goes up into that, that's part social security, it's part pensions, it's part Medicare shortfalls, there's whole stuff that goes into that, but $20.5 trillion in retirement, some way, shape, or form, pensions, benefits, stuff like that, He has to go fix that because that's exactly what's going to force our spending at the federal level to go higher, minimize discretionary, and put us in the crosshairs of a fiscal crisis or raising the debt ceiling or raising taxes or killing the economy because the more money government takes, the less we have to spend and the worse the economy gets. The more we pay for things that have already happened, the more we aren't exciting an economy in the now. So you have to balance it. I'm hoping – and I think this is Donald J. Trump's plan – as he excites the economy and gets the cost of government under control, if he can run a surplus, that's the money he needs to go attack some of these debts. And as he redoes some of the deals, get away from pensions and get into things like 401Ks with a match, doesn't mean he doesn't want to take care of workers. He just has to change how that happens. In a perfect world, pension, whatever. But we don't live in a perfect world. Actions have consequences. And think about a pension from this level. A pension that's given out today, the to split second. This person starts, call it New York City cop. going to retire in 20 years on a pension. So you spend today the pension that gets collected in 20 years to when the guy's 45 – 35 years later, he passes away on the average mortality rate. So you're making a decision that's going to cost you 35 years today, but won't happen for the next 50. That's silliness. You can't do that. That's kick the can down the road on steroids. But again, think about how leaders think. Just need to get reelected. I just need to get reelected. They don't think about the long term consequences. And that's part of the cost control piece I hope he brings to the table. So we will see. But jobs and pensions, got to be critical. Interesting going into 2017 on what he will bring. Again, this is John A. Jensen, founder of FixTheNation.com. Please follow me at FixTheNation. If you enjoy what I bring, can you share it out with other people, Facebook, Twitter, things like that, Stitcher, iTunes. Love to hear from you. Okay. Thank you so much for listening. God bless